Welcome to the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast, the podcast for special educators who are looking for personal and professional development. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Reeve. For more than 20 years, I've worn lots of hats in special education, but my real love is helping special educators like you. This podcast will give you tips and ways to implement research-based practices in a practical way in your classroom to make your job easier and more effective. Welcome to the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast. I am so glad that you've joined us today. I have a very special guest for you. Sasha Long from the Autism Helper is with us today. And she and I got a chance to talk all about one of our favorite topics, which is data collection and analysis in actual classrooms. And I really enjoy talking to Sasha about this because we both come from that classroom background and she's going to share some really good suggestions about data in general, but she's also going to share some really nice perspective on the state of where we are in teaching and what that means for data collection. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. I am so glad that you are joining us for this episode. Sasha Long is here today to talk about data. And we were just laughing that nobody likes to really talk data with me. So I'm always happy to find somebody who finds it as interesting as I do. Sasha is a board certified behavior analyst. She was a classroom teacher and she is the founder and president of the Autism Helper. She does lots and lots of different things from blogging to podcasts to online courses, as well as I know she does some professional development as well. So I'm going to let her introduce herself and then we'll get to talking about data. Thanks, Chris. Well, that was actually like a very thorough, lovely introduction. So I think you covered a lot of it. I'm a former special education teacher. I'm a board certified behavior analyst. I started the Autism Helper to share resources and strategies. We do that in a lot of ways. Like you said, blog, podcast, professional developments, courses. And I love it and love talking data. So I'm excited to be here. Good. Awesome. So you and I have talked about data before on your podcast. And I know that we sometimes look at things in a very similar way, but What are your best tips? I know one of the things that teachers really are struggling with and always have is how do I make data work in the classroom? Like I know that I have to have data. Everybody tells me that I have to have data. Not a lot of people tell them what that data should look like. (laughs) And, you know, so I'm always looking for good tips on how to help teachers actually make it work while they're actually teaching. (laughs) Data is always one of those things. People are like, you know, if I didn't have to teach the kids, I could do this. And I'm like, yeah. If you didn't teach the kids, we don't need the data. <laughs> <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> so what what are some tips that you have for that? That That's a great question. And I really think what I've been talking about a lot lately is it kind of, for everything for me, comes back to reinforcement. And I think if we can really tie in the why to the data, and I think that's a disconnect that a lot of teachers have is, I like you said, I know I should take data, but it's so hard. And when we personally don't see the value in something, we, we don't do it, right? We don't make time for it. Like, it's kind of like flossing. Like, I floss a lot right before my dentist appointment. Like, I have a dentist appointment in a month. <laughs> I'm going to floss every day. But, you know, if it's not, like, on my calendar, I'm like, oh, I could skip it tonight, whatever. Because you don't hit that immediate reinforcement for it. And, and I think with data collection, we're often missing the analysis and the why. So we're doing it because we should, which 
that's not enough. And then, then it's going to be like, well, I got, I got to teach and I have these behaviors to deal with. So I'm going to deal with that data later because we don't have the value there. And I think in a big picture way, and we can talk about some actionable stuff too, but in a big picture way, if we can connect the why that leads to so much more consistency because we're going to be contacting that reinforcement right there. So we have that value in, in that process where when you have just the should, it's kind of like, yeah, I don't really, I don't really care, whatever. That's not, not a, high that's on a big enough. List. Yeah, it's, it's not a big enough reinforcer when what it's competing with is the needs of our kids sitting right across from us, you know, behaviors. Like there's so many competing contingencies that the should isn't going to be there. Mm-hmm. No, and that's a really good point. I've been talking recently about the fact that when you do analyze and collect your data, it's really important that there's also a feedback loop to the staff. If we want yes. Paris to take the data, they have to see why it matters. They have to yes. see how this informs your instruction. And whenever we've created and filled that loop, it's amazing to me that teachers will come back and say, I'm not having any problems with taking data anymore because like, they see why they need it. And they like are like, can I see the data? I want to see how he's doing. Yeah. Because yes. after a while, it does become a little bit addictive. Yeah, it does. And you know what? Like, I think actually the pair thing's awesome that at some point that one of the biggest game changing things I did when I was in the classroom for my paras was give them the mastery criterias and then also give them the skill sequence. Like, hey, when we hit mastery on this set, go to this next set. When we hit mastery on this set, go to the next set. Laying that all out for them. Because they now, I mean, you get bored working on the same colors after a while, the same letters, the same exemplars. It's like, well, when you hit nine out of 10 on three days, you get to go to the next one. Like they're not skipping a day of data because they want to get to that too. And having that like kind of whole path written out for them too, I thought worked out really, really well because before I did that, you know, they'd come to me and be like, oh, they hit mastery criteria. And I was like, oh, great. I'll, I'll get back to you on what to do next. And would immediately forget because there's a million things going on. And then two weeks later, I'd look over and be like, why are they doing puzzles? What are they doing over there? And I'm like, oh, I forgot to tell them what to work on next. So if they see that path too of like, hey, this is where we're going, it is, like you said, addicting. And it also, I think, really brings a lot of value to the role of that paraprofessional. It's like, hey, look what I did. I was the educator. I taught all these skills. We made this progress together. Right. And I think that's a really good point too. And you're building a classroom team, just making sure that we really are all on the same page and have the same page so that we know exactly what we're trying to do. So I think that's a really good point. What kind of tips do you have for, like, how do you take data? Like if you're in a small group, how do you easily take data in a classroom? So I think it has to be like the mantras, like, you know, if it's not easy, you're not going to do it. So it's the little things matter. And like the devil's in the details here. I think you want to think really strategically about what the data sheet looks like, about what the binder looks like, like silly things like tabs, like having a tab system where the name of the kid, here's Johnny, here's his tab, flip, go. That two seconds is a game changer on versus like, let me go find this in a busy binder and a clipboard if it's not organized. Like the whole purpose of being organized is that you're going to be efficient. Like when those kids are ready to learn, you're ready to teach. And that includes data. Like you can't have even 30 seconds to look for the data sheet. It has to be right there. So what what systems, what organizational tools can you put into place to lessen that time between your mm-hmm. teaching and the data is right there? So I love, I like a binder personally because you can have it all tabbed by goal, by student, and then having the data sheet super simple where we're doing plus minus or tally, whatever types of systems we're using, rubrics, whatever is all right there. 
And then really being reasonable with your expectations on yourself of how many kids you're taking data on, how often you're doing it. Like, I mean, I probably a little out of my repertoire at this point, but like taking data on multiple kids is really hard to do at once. Like in reality. So like, you know, when you look at, you know, oh, maybe I'll try to take data on three kids. Just don't, don't. Like I'd rather have less data that's quality and consistent than, hey, in August, I took data on three kids every day for three weeks and it was great. Like, and then I never did it again, you know? So you lose steam on that because it's not sustainable. So that like, hey, I'm going to get to Johnny once a week. And you know what? That's great. And that's enough. And I think that pressure sometimes gets overwhelming for teachers and for clinicians too, that like, we got to be doing data on every single thing, every single day. And you don't, you know, you don't. Right. Well, and I see that sometimes as one of the areas where a lot of people will tell teachers that they need data. They don't give them any real understanding of what kind of data, how often they take data. And there's always this assumption of, I have to take data on everything. And it's like, no, you have to have clearly defined things that you're taking data on. And maybe you schedule them. Because like, I'd rather have a really strong sample of one day a week of data, in some cases, than five days where I can't count on whether or not it was accurate because we tried to take frequency data across the whole day. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I see that that struggle a lot that teachers are, you know, because again, they're the only message they're getting is you have to take data. Where's your data? And so that's a really good point. Do you find that different people have different like organizational styles that work for them? Like I'm listening to you talk about a binder and I'm thinking I get messed up by binders. I do better with a stack of clipboards. Yeah, it's totally, it's so personal. Right. And my kids are in order so I can just pull them out as we go. Now, I'm also the person that when I'm done with instruction, it looks like a hurricane hit the area. (laughs) But in fact, when I was working, doing consultation classrooms, I used to have to tell teachers, it's okay, I'm going to come back and clean that. Like, (laughs) yes, I'm not leaving your class that way. But I think that's the other thing that's really hard is just trying to figure out what works for the teacher and also what works for the paras in terms of data collection. And it's hard to like let go of the reins a little as the teacher to the paras to give them that flexibility. Like, hey, if, if if you find these binders annoying and you want to do clipboards, use clipboards. If you want to just have post-its and then transfer to the data sheet later, cool. Right. And, you know, I'm I'm pretty type A. So it, I, I feel them on that. They're like, oh, well, I don't want to let them make their choices. But it's very respectful, I think, too, to like, hey, what what's your preference? What's going to work best for you? And then you're going to get way better results for something that feels more natural for that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember, remember an aide I had that was taking data and he, we were using just a plus and a minus and there were X's and X's usually meant there was no opportunity for anything. And so I walked in one consultation period, picked up the data sheet and I'm like, Oh no, like this is bad. And I went to the teacher luckily first. And she's like, no, it, that's what he does when he does it. He, he writes an X <laughs> in the box. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And she's like, I mean, we can tell him to just like, no, if it works for him, it's fine. I can adjust. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And, and I think that that's one of the reasons like people are always like, you know, what data sheet should I use? Or, you know, what system should I use? And I'm like, like, well, let's figure out really what your organizational style is. Like I'm a person who has to see everything. Like I know where everything is on my desk. No one would believe me if I told them that. (laughs) Because it's a disaster. But I always think back to two different teachers I had who took data really, really neatly. They were both 
pretty much OCD. And they both knew that about themselves. And their data is the only data I've ever had that like had no markouts, no nothing. Like it's pristine. And I actually still believe they took it. But what was funny was that their aides would not take data in their binder because they're like, I'm going to mess up her form. And she's like, no, I don't care if you mess up my form. I really don't. And they're like, no, no, we need another sheet of our own. We're not taking data on that. <laughs> That's so funny. It's like, yeah, it's, it's really hard. It's, it's a really hard thing to balance. And you always have to prioritize the instruction with, you know, with the data. It's like how do you keep the kids engaged? And what is your best advice when you're thinking about a beginning teacher, first or second year, who's just really kind of starting to get into the groove of things? How do you suggest that they look at setting up like a data system or setting up a data plan? I think you got to start so small, so like so slowly. And really the start of the year, I think besides major behavior data, I would really like not have that on my on my radar the first few weeks, months, mm-hmm. whatever it takes. Like, because mm-hmm. the start of the year, especially when you're new, is about like those systems and processes, getting your routines out, getting your schedules, about reports, about reinforcement. And yeah, some data will come into that. But as far as your academic data, I, I think it's so overwhelming, you know, now to go on Instagram, blogs, you know, TikTok, everywhere. Mm-hmm. There's like all these ideas and it's like, I got to do everything. It's like, pick one thing. That's it. Like, Pick pick one goal, pick one student, whatever you want to do, and know that like just because I'm picking to take data on language arts goals right now doesn't mean you're ignoring math. It just means you're not right. ready for math yet. Like you'll get there. And if you're starting with language arts in October, maybe you add in data on some math goals in December. And we we fade that in. It's especially for a first year teacher or a teacher that's first year to special ed, then maybe they're in gen ed. I mean, it's just like you know, you're like almost getting hazed those first few weeks. Like, so adding in the data piece is, I mean, I probably, I mean, my first year teaching was a long time ago. I know with certainty, I took no data my first year teaching because I was like treading water, surviving. Like I had major behaviors. I had brand new paras. I had an empty classroom. I didn't even know I was probably supposed to be taking data at that point. So, you know, it, it comes, it really can. And And so I think having expectations that are reasonable, because again, we'd rather have it start slowly and be consistent and have that buy-in, have that value, be training your pair as well, than trying to do it all really once and then just burning out. Because I think that's why our teachers are really burning out and not able to come back because of the unrealistic expectations that they're facing. No, I think you're totally right. And I think that's certainly something that we're, we're seeing we were seeing it before COVID and we're seeing it even more now. And it's just, again, I mean, with most of those things, it's just expectation upon expectation upon expectation without a real, like, how does your room run? Yeah. And it's really vague expectations too. Like you, you, like you've said a few times, like, it's like, here, take data, reduce behaviors, teach. And you're like, teach what? Reduce what? How do we reduce behaviors? What kind of data? And it's so, that gets really overwhelming too when you know you're supposed to be doing something, but no one's been specific enough with you to know if you're doing it right or wrong. So I think that's challenging too, that even if you feel like you are taking data and you're doing it well, you don't know if it's right because you haven't been given those clear expectations from administrators, from your district. You're like, is this what they want? I don't know. So I think once you kind of are in a good groove, you just have to kind of be confident in yourself because let's be real, your administrators don't know either. Like they're just telling you this, but like 
they don't exactly know what they want or need either. And in my experience, if you show up at an IEP and you've got data, they're happy. Yeah, that's good Very few administrators <laughs> are going to look at your data and go, this isn't right because you should have been taking this kind of data. I know. <laughs> it's like, I know. They're like, yes, data. Yeah, I know. I, I've like joked. I'm like, and if it's charted, I mean, you could chart like how many Cheetos you ate last week. No one cares. They're like, oh, you charted data? Oh my God. And like, you're going to be the best teacher ever. So it'll be great. Right. Right. What do you suggest as far as once you've, once the teacher started taking some data, what kind of system do you look at for analyzing data? Like what kinds of things do you use? I think that we need, I'm like a big fan of like any prompts, reminders for ourselves. Because again, we have like our best intentions. A few things. I think having that mastery criteria really well thought out from the start is really important because, you know, we kind of tend to arbitrarily assign those, right? You're like on your 40th IP of the year, you throw like an 80% mastery criteria out of everything and move on. And then later you're like, wait a minute. No, he can't identify letters with 80% mastery. We need 100% mastery with that skill. Like we have to figure this out differently. So really thinking critically about the mastery criteria and then those benchmarks of what's coming next. And then when you look at that data on a regular basis, having some type of scheduled system, like we we need systems ourselves. So whether that's like your Monday prep or staying 10 minutes late every Thursday, something that like is embedded in your routine that you set a calendar reminder, you have an alert go off, like it's a thing with multiple reminders, like I need even multiple reminders. So multiple reminders are happening. And I think then if you Get your system really well set up if you've thought critically about the goal, how you're taking data, having that master criteria written out. The analysis piece really should be quick and easy. You should be able to look at that data and think, my question I always share is like, should I continue on, move on, or change? Continue on means things are going pretty good. We're making our way. We're just going to business as usual. You know, change means something's not right. We're plateauing. We're regressing. We need to go back to what our instruction is and think about it different. And then changes, let's go to that next mastery criteria. So looking at that, like, should I continue on, move on, or change, or move on is going on to the next mastery criteria. When you look at the data, you should be able to tell quickly, you know, if we've hit mastery criteria, great, let's move on. If we haven't, are we about to be there? Or is something not right with what's going on? Has this been too long on this skill? And I think you, if you look, it makes that decision easy if you've done all that like legwork too. And having that just yeah. scheduled where you go through everything and you're like, all right. And like, hey, you know, maybe these are the three goals or programs I'm working on right now that like something's got to change. And I'm going to, I'm going to write that on a post-it and tomorrow when I'm teaching, I'm going to think about like, hey, should we be scaling back? Is the field size too big? Or are my prompts confusing? And think about that while you're teaching about what's going on that you could kind of change your instructional strategies. Yeah. Yeah. We, I always talk about, like, we call it data Thursday because it's what we used to do at the preschool where we used to be able to just, because we had a self-contained setting, we were able to go, mm-hmm. no meetings on Thursdays. We're doing data collection, data analysis. But I've done that with, with teachers in their schools where they just have like an accountability buddy sometimes too. Every Thursday, we're going to sit down and look at our data. And you're right, exactly right. That once you have those systems up, it's so much easier. And I yeah. always call it, there's no more all-nighters before the progress report. That is not the time that you want to sit and look at your data. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, you know, I think if if the goals are well thought out and specific, and I think that's kind of another struggle that we have is we think it it's going to be more complicated the more detailed we get. 
but it's actually easier the more detailed we get because we don't have to really think through, was that correct? Was that incorrect? Should I count that? Should I not? If we get super detailed, like when it comes to problem behavior, really defining what that problem behavior is. When it comes to academics, what is an error? You know, is it if he takes too long to answer, what am I counting that? If, if he self-corrects, how am I counting that? If you made all those decisions ahead of time, when you're in the moment teaching, you don't have to be thinking through like, oh, this and that. And that's what makes data collection really hard is that like decision fatigue of it is, you know, think uh, like, oh, well, he kind of did that by himself, but I have to like summarize if it's prompted or not. If you can really get detailed on that ahead of time, it actually makes the data collection in the moment easier, but it'll make that analysis easier too, because your data is going to be really clear versus like this vague series of like negative, you know, oh, minus he didn't do that. And you're like, well, I don't know what that meant. Yeah. Why, why did we get there? And I think that fits really well with, I've been talking in the last year about Stick Habits and my core model and the idea that so much of that classroom organization results and effectiveness model is that you have those systems set up ahead of time so that you don't have to think while you're trying to run the classroom at the same time. So you've already thought through all those exact kinds of decisions. So I think that's a really good piece of advice because that is exactly what causes that decision fatigue. Of You already have a million decisions that you're making every day that you can't avoid. Like, what do I do when he does this? And where'd that kid go? And what is that person doing over there? Why are they doing puzzles again? And yeah. so you got to free your brain up to ha- be able to handle that Anything that you can decide ahead of time is golden. Yes. Makes it much easier. And then it's also a habit, I think, is another thing I've talked about in the past is, you know, especially for new teachers, that it's a habit and it takes practice and it doesn't come easily. If you're going to try a new data sheet, try one at a time and stick with it for a while. Because to this day, we used to have a, a data sheet that is graph as you go, but it graphed from the bottom up. So we, we put our data in at the bottom of the page and then put it up. And to this day, I will sit down and do discrete trials and take data from the bottom up of the data sheet because that's my motor memory. Yeah. And that's powerful too, the motor memory. My gosh. And like, and really, and thinking through, like thinking critically, like what you said, trying things out. And then if it's not working, thinking about why, instead of just like trying to force it, like imagine if someone gave you a data sheet that was the reverse and you were just like trying to force yourself to do the opposite the whole year, like that would be so effortful and after a while feel like heavy and annoying. And now like data's aversive and you don't really know why, but like right. spend not like trying to force a round cube. What's that phrase? A round cube and a square hole. You know what I mean? Like that if it's not working, why? If we're at October and we've been sitting with this data sheet for two months and it's like still aversive for you, figure out why. We do this with our kids with the aversive things in the classroom. We have to do that with ourselves too. Like, hey, why do I hate taking data here? Why do I avoid this? What about this is not working? And it's sometimes in those simple things of like, hey, I'd prefer this to be a landscape instead of, you know, portrait. Like, it'd be easier that way. Like, then change it. Mm -hmm. That's a really, really good point. I love the idea of, you know, figure out what's not working for you. And if it's aversive, figure out a different way to do it. I think that's huge. And especially because, as you said earlier, there's so many, like, things that they're bombarded with on social media of, you know, oh, look, I've got these three colored counters and I can take data on three kids at a time. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can't do that. Yeah. I can do it on three posts. I can't do it with a counter because I will screw up and one of them will have the wrong count and I can't fix it. I can fix it when I do it. So I think that's a really, really good point. Any other thoughts about data? I have so many. I can't. I know, right? We've like kind of touched on so many things already. 
You know, I think when you think about behavior data versus academic data, behavior data does have a little bit more urgency because we have kind of, we kind of mm-hmm. been talking a lot about academic data and to touch on like behavior data, I think it has a little bit more urgency and importance, especially when we're dealing with things like aggression or property destruction or eloping, but it also at the same time, because of extreme behaviors, then it can be pushed to the side very quickly. You know, you're not in the middle of an aggressive episode with a child, like, hold on, let me write down that that was a pun. Right. And, you know, you, that gets pushed to the side very quickly, but you know, we so critically need the data piece there when it comes to those behaviors, because if we don't, we don't know how our behavior plans should look. And then, you know, in the in the piece, in the lead up to our writing our behavior plans. But then after that, we don't know if if our strategies are working or not. And we have to really rely on our data for that analysis piece. I mean, same with academics. There's just so much, as you said, going on in your head throughout the day and throughout the week that our opinions are not sufficient for deciding if a goal has been mastered or if a behavior plan is working. And that's not because our opinions aren't good. It's just that there's too much going on that we need that objective data piece to help us make those decisions as opposed to, you know, what we think. And with behavior, it's really, really hard, I think, to take a bird's eye view when when you're part of it. Like you're you're part of the environment. You're part of the problem, whether or not you'd like to admit it. Like you play a role in this behavior because you're part of getting feedback, receiving feedback, consequences. You're part of the antecedent. And it's hard to see, like, and I'm sure you've been in that situation as a consultant, you know, you you walk in and you see something you're like, oh, God, that's really obvious. And the teacher's like, oh, my God, how did I not see that this is what's happening? And you're like, well, I'm, I'm not part of it. It's easy for me, you know, an, uh, an objective observer, but exactly. it's hard as the, as the teacher or the parent to see that. Yeah. So I think data gives us that opportunity from a behaviors perspective to be the observer, you know? Mm-hmm. No, that's a really good point. And I think that's, Something that's also really important, even with instructional data, especially with a lot of a lot of our kids that are have more significant disabilities, their progress is not something that happens really quickly a lot mm-hmm. of times, but it doesn't mean the progress isn't there. And yeah. it's always amazing to watch as a teacher starts to really track that data for them to be able to see, oh, wow, he really did make progress because he mastered three of these steps since, you know, two months ago. But you wouldn't have noticed it if you were just teaching with, you know, teaching him and not tracking it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, those like little steps really do add up, but day to day, you don't really see it. Right. And I think that's true with behavior as well. I think sometimes it's one of the things, I don't know if you've seen this, but one of the things that I always saw was I would put a behavior plan in place and I'd come back a week later and I'd say, how is it going? Oh, he's so much better. He's so much better. And I'd take data and I'd be like, He's exactly the way he was when I saw him last time. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, no, no, he's so much better. And I began to realize that what it was is he was so much better because they knew how, what they were going to do when the behavior happened. They had a plan. And so their stress level went down. So his behavior wasn't as stressful as it was mm-hmm. before. And I think that has been another really important reason for why we need that behavior data because it's very easy for it to become very subjective very quickly without realizing it. Oh, yeah. I mean, and and that that situation happens a lot, too. Like you said, on like the, oh, yeah, things are going good. Like, and I think we also, and I like joke about this, like, you know, those like Febreze commercials, like the nose blind effect. Like, I feel like teachers go like nose blind. Like, we just get used to it, right? Like someone comes to your room and they're like, what's that loud noise? Oh, and yeah. you're like, what? what noise? And they're like, that blood curdling scream. And you're like, oh, that's just the inner monologue that's of my life now. Tidbit. 
Yeah, that's right. just, you know, like you, and, and you're just like, oh, I only got bit seven times today. And you're like, wait, I shouldn't say that. But you, you get used to it, which is good. I mean, you don't quit your job. You're, you're not like, you know, burnt out. But like, it doesn't do our kids a great service because they're not actually learning new skills, reducing challenging behaviors. We're just like used to toning it out or like dodging punches now. So if we have that data to tell us, like, I want to know that, like a lot of these behavior plans are really, really hard and effortful to put into place. And if it's not working, let's not keep doing it, right? Like, let's do something different. Right. No, I think that's a really good point. And so many times I think that's true with anything. It's like, we're just doing the same things over and over. It's like, well, then you're going to keep getting the same outcome. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to change on its own. Yeah. So that's a really good point. Other tips that you have or anything else that you can think of? You know, I think really in general, just like not being too hard on yourself. If this was a year where, you know, you got three new placements in the middle of the year, you were understaffed all year long, and you're like, quite honestly, I'm embarrassed to say I took no data this year. That is okay. Like you're still a good teacher. Those kids are still lucky to have you. It's never too late to add on. I think people are like embarrassed. Like, oh my God, I haven't, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Like, I mean, look at where education is right now. I think every single school is like chronically understaffed. And we thought that like four years ago. And that's hilarious. Like if you literally don't have staff, like you're supposed to have three pairs in your room and you have maybe one, you have kids with toileting needs or significant behavior issues. Like you're just not getting to that. And that's okay because with the situation you're in, that's all you can do. And I think that's fine. So just really like, you know, as we wrap up this school year and think about, start to think about next year, like just giving yourself grace. If you're in that really tough season of your career where you have extreme behaviors, you have an overcrowded classroom, you're super understaffed. Those are more pressing eminent needs that data might not be right there right now. That's okay. It'll, you'll get there. Right. Well, and one of the things I always talk about too is prioritize your instruction, then prioritize your data. Because mm-hmm. if you don't have good instruction, you're not going to, the data, you're probably not going to want to Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and so, you know, it's one of the things I used to do was literally like take the data sheets away from them and put them away. I'm like, you're not allowed to touch them yeah. for another month. Like just yeah. get the hang of the classroom first. But I think that's a good point about this year too, is that I've been telling teachers, you know, we have to start thinking too about at what point is it worth really burning out this teacher who yeah. has this drive and this interest and this desire to work in these classrooms where we already know we can't get enough people to do it. Yeah. And you can't do everything. It, you just you can't. And it's an unrealistic expectation from anyone to think that you can. I know. I'm like, I'm thinking right now of one of the teachers I've been working with that they couldn't hire a teacher a teacher for one of the other classrooms. Subs stopped showing up. So they took that class, split it between two classrooms. So she has a class and a half of kids. And that yeah. came to her like mid-February. Like, you think she's taking data right now? No way. She's like struggling to go to the bathroom. Like, you think her right. kids have great instruction right now? No way. She's doing the best she can, though, in the situation she's given. And yeah, is that legal? No. Is that right? No. But like, that's where some of our, our teachers are at. Right. It's not in her control. And that's... That's one of the things I find myself saying to the teachers over and over right now is just, you can't be responsible for the situation that you've been put in. You can only be responsible for what you're doing in it. And here's kind of a priority of where you have to start. You start with safety and then we move into the And like your mental health, like you said, like this is not worth burning out over. So as as much as you and I will say all day long, data is so important, it's 
it's not as important as as safety or mental health as as surviving. So it'll get there later when we have right. those needs met. <laughs> right. Yeah. I I have teachers this year that have that I've been working with who have had rotating subs all year long. They've never yeah. had a consistent para. And I'm like, you're just going to need to put them in a place where they can do something very simple. They have very simple directions. You've given them very clear directions and you're going to have to let it go because yeah. you're not going to be able to have the classroom be where you want it to be or what you think it should be. You've got to lower your expectations. That's a really good point. As much as we don't want that. <laughs> I know, you know, it goes against everything that we get trained on, but it's also where we really have to look at. We have this great science and these great strategies, but they have to be implemented in an actual context. Yeah. And unfortunately, our context is kind of failing us at the moment. Yeah. All right. Well, can you tell everybody where they can find you and any other information that you want to share? Yeah, you can find me pretty much anywhere at The Autism Helper. So Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, theautismhelper.com is our website where our blog is and it links to our podcast and all that good stuff. And yeah. Thank you so, so much for joining me. It is always fun to geek out about data and also to talk about one of the things I really love about talking to you is talking about the practical issues of data that I can talk to a lot of people who are like, well, you have to be taking blah, 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 blah. And, and it's like, yeah. Have you been in a classroom? I know you can. I mean, you know, what? as much as I love, obviously, the field of ABA, you can tell real quick who has never worked in a school, yeah. like right away. It's right. like, ooh, <laughs> like, no, that doesn't apply. In a clinic, great, not in a public school. So. Exactly. Exactly. So I really appreciate your perspective. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for having me. This has been really fun. All right. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast. For even more support, you can access free materials, webinars, and video tips inside my free resource library. Sign up at autismclassroomresources.com slash free, that's F-R-E-E, or click the link in the show notes to join the free library today. I'll catch you again next week.